first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentleman golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast, Australia's leading Golf Rules Questions podcast, where you can come to us and get all of your information, knowledge, insights, and inspiration around the wonderful topics of the golf rules, which consume, definitely consume me, but more so consume the great Blakey sitting opposite me virtually. Blakey, how are you? Yeah, going really well, Roscoe. Uh, You know, we're a rules podcast, but... uh we are also lovers of the game of golf, so uh, it was really good to see Jordan Spieth uh, have a win last week. Uh, so that was that was fantastic. Lot of, How are you going? I'm going pretty well. The lovers of the game of golf, yes, we are lovers of the game of golf, and it was a lot of people who love the game of golf were great. Were love seeing Jordan Spieth back. He's interesting character. You know, he's got some people that. Uh, Go both ways on Jordan. I, I'm not sure why they. There's a little bit of polarized sort of love for the for the young man, but uh, he hasn't won for a long time, and it was great to see him back in the winner's circle. So last week at the at the uh, Valero Open in um, the Texas Valero Open, which can only mean one thing, Blakey. This week is Masters Week. That's correct. Now, although, although I thought that Houston used to be played before. Where is the Texas Open? Is that no? That's and is it in Houston or San Antonio? Anyway, uh, I thought it used to be the Houston Open before Masters Week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Houston Open last week and uh, the weekend before that was in Austin, Texas. Uh, so the Houston Open, the Texas Valero Open, the Houston Open down there in, uh, in the south. Moved across. We move across to uh, where's, where's, where's Augusta? Georgia. Uh, Georgia. Georgia. Of course it's Georgia. Uh, it's Masters Week, Blakey, and... It only seems like yesterday that it was Masters Week. Why was that? Because the last Masters that we saw when we were last at Augusta was in November when it was a bit soft. Conditions were a bit soft underfoot. Correct. We don't need to explain uh, what happened last year, the, the Masters getting postponed to November. But as a lot of the players on the, the TV, because their broadcast has already started in terms of the range sessions are being broadcast, it's, it's great to see the players out there practising a lot of attention going towards Phil last night that I was watching and a lot of, uh, you know, he had Phil, – Phil's dialing in his numbers that much that he's got two launch monitors out there, Blakey. What do you reckon about a player that's got two launch monitors? He's got the, the GC quad and the whatever the other uh, radar measure is and he's got two iPads and he's, he's measuring everything, mate. Yeah, well, the Bryson's the same. I think Bryson's got the GC quad and the Flightscope X3. So uh, one he puts to the side – uh, facing him when he's hitting the ball and the other one is back on the line of play uh, when he's on the range sessions. So, I don't know, just to make sure that they both capture the ball speed in case one misses. Well, 
Better be safe than sorry. But uh, anyway, it was great to see all those players. It's very interesting seeing them warming up and going through the process and chatting and backslapping and a bit of high-fiving and the coaches wandering around. And there's a few patrons. I'm not sure exactly what the situation with the patrons are. It seems to be there will be patrons uh, back on the property, maybe in a restricted uh, amount. You can confirm that, Blakey. But it's just great to see. It's always a better... It's always a good insight to see players doing things outside of play. And I, I... when I went to the Open in 2016, I was mesmerised by sitting watching the range uh, for a couple of, you know, maybe an hour or so. It seemed like a couple of hours. Um, just watching them go through their process and see how they work through a bag and, and hit balls and then have a break and then have a look at a book and have a look at some numbers and then go back and hit some more and, have, you know, catch up with some people. It was, it was If you like people watching, the range is a good place to do that. Now, it is uh, the Masters week, as we said. Who who are you tipping? Who are you going with before we get into the deep dive of golf rules, scenario situations and imbroglios? Uh, I'm going to go with Jordan Spieth. Yeah, it's hard to pick someone who is going to back it up, but uh, let's just go with Jordan. He's been in great form, but I'd really like to see Lee Westwood get over the line and get his first major and make it a Masters. He's been playing really well of late. Well, I'm only going to offer you one tip, and that is you've already stolen it. My man, Westy, I am a massive Lee Westwood fan. If it was going to happen, it's going to happen this year. So I'm not going to say I'd love to see it and then back someone else. I'm going to say, Lee Westwood, you're my guy. He's got his son on his bag. It was meant to be. His son's there. His son's just turned 20 or maybe or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it would have been 20 because he missed uh, the 2001 Masters for the to, birth of his to son. To be his birth, that's exactly right. So well spotted there. Can't wait for the Masters as everyone can. It's it's interesting. It's, it's always good to see the, the golf world come alive for Masters Week and it you know, just puts the attention on this great game that we know and love. Blakey, so going to be exciting. Does it usually throw up some real situations? Doesn't, I don't think it does, does it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It and, yeah, you know, well, the committee yeah. in charge is the um, committee at the Augusta Golf Country Club. No, okay. Augusta Golf Club. ANG, oh, ANGC, Augusta National Golf Club. Uh, Augusta National Golf Club. So the committee, and they've, um, you know, they always had the PGA Tour there um, providing them information on how they should rule. And then obviously they can um, discuss with the USGA, but they seem to sometimes um, go outside of that every now and, the, uh, every now and then. Uh, but, yeah, no, we've, we've definitely had some situ- situations around that. We've covered them, and that must have been about episode 16 or something like that uh, for when it was back in November. So is that... Is is that the real reason why Tiger wouldn't have been DQ'd? Because that committee, the ANGC committee, therefore taking control of the event uh, as they do for all aspects of the the Masters, which some people realise, but some people don't realise that they have ultimate control over everything, the broadcasting and and you name it, they they pretty much control it. Um, Would that be the why there was no DQ or did, did what happened back in that situation happen justly? Uh, yeah, well, that, they put that down to a committee error, basically. They had the opportunity to talk to Tiger before he handed in his scorecard. They looked, they reviewed the footage, thought there was nothing wrong with it, and let it go. And then in the press conference it came out, Tiger said, oh, yeah, I dropped it about a yard or two yards back. Now, the, the um, ruling at the time, the rule at the time, was he had to drop it as near as possible to where you last played from. And there was a big divot, so you knew exactly where he last played from. Uh, but he dropped it about two yards back. Because remember, he hit the yeah. the flag stick and it went in the water. So he's thinking, oh, if I had the exact same shot, took it from two yards back, it should stop. 
and I'll have a tap in par or whatever. Uh, a tap on uh, bogey, I think it might have been. So um, they didn't talk to him. He handed him the card. The information came out and they discussed and said, well, it was our, uh, our mistake that we didn't talk to him, so we're not going to DQ him. We're just going to add the two-shot penalty. So they made the rule. Yeah, they. Um, the committee can decide on uh, what the outcome is in that case. The other interesting thing when you consider some of the things that have been profit about the, the Masters, you know, the fact that they seem to be, well, you know, this isn't any with any conviction, but if there was going to be a change in a ball to you know, reduce distance and wind a ball back and roll something back as, you know, that's not a new topic, you know, that they might be able to do that just for the Masters. You know, they could potentially say, you know, you can only play with, this is the Masters tournament ball and you can only play with it. They could actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be one place where people would say, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. You know, like I'm going to accept the conditions because it's the Masters mm. Um the tough thing about that is do they give the, you know, because a lot of the players will go to Augusta and say, hey, you know, I've got my invitation, I want to have a practice round or, um, you know, the Masters coming up, I'm in the top 50, um, I'm most likely going to get an invitation, so can I just have a look at the course, blah, blah, blah. And so do they, do the, does Augusta come out and say, okay, we'll give you the tournament ball that we're going to bring in three months before, two months before, a month before, a week before? Uh, that, that would be an interesting uh, topic or uh, about how they proceed with that. When you drive down Magnolia Lane and you check in and someone opens the door for you, they hand you a couple of dozen Masters balls and say, that's it. That's all you've got. And if you lose them all, you're out. How cool would it be if they were all green? I mean, how, how hard would they be to spot then? Well, anything could happen, mate. Anything could happen. Anyway, let's keep rolling on. So last week we had uh, the Golf Rules Question of the Week. So let's run through last week's Golf Rules Question of the Week and uh, you can digest the answer. There's not too many videos for us to go through, but um, there are some questions from uh, one of our loyal listeners, correct? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll go through those and then uh, we'll cover off uh, the other parts, parts of the podcast that we usually talk about, the uh, background bingos, the um, any Ivers, and then we'll ask this week's Golf Rules Question of the Week. Yeah, excellent. Fire uh, so. Okay. So, Steve and Mary are partners in the foursome. Steve tees his ball up within the red teeing area and hits the ball towards the boundary fence where it may have come to rest inside or outside the fence. Mary, who has been playing from the white tees all day, thinks they should play a provisional. Who must now hit the provisional ball and where must it be hit from? Interesting, because this I'm sure this happens. Yeah, so this is under Rule 18.3 for a provisional ball and also Rule 22.3 for a foursome. So Mary is, is required to hit the ball because you've got to play in order and penalty strokes don't disrupt the order. Uh, the order is... Uh, the actual strokes made. So Steve's made a stroke. Mary would now make a stroke at a provisional ball because that could be the ball that um, is going to be in play. And she'd have to play it from the red tees, the tees that Steve has been playing from because you play your provisional ball from where you last played from. Uh, 
you know, if it'd been the other way around, if Mary had hit off the whites and they needed to play a provisional, Steve would play a provisional from the white tees. So that is under yeah rule 18.3 and 22.3. Now, I just have a follow-up one because last week on the podcast, we gave some shout-outs to those people that had passed uh, rules of golf exams, uh, particularly the level two RNA exam. But uh, one of the listeners, Lena Zellberg, let me know that she has passed her level one rules of golf through the Swedish Golf Federation. So well done, Lena, and shout out to all those that have um, passed level one or sat through the Swedish Golf Federation's exams. Uh, but she did have a follow-up question to the question of the week. What is? Uh, what if this occurred in a green sim? Uh, do you know what a green sim is, Roscoe? Mm, jeepers, weepers. Are you testing my knowledge of, um, you know, quirky Saturday, Sunday golf competitions now? Green sims, gent sims, Irish, some things. Uh, green sims. No, remind me what green sims it is. Like, I don't yeah, think so I it, it's, probably, it's probably something that has another name or you know it by another name. I mean, I always know these things as like American foursomes, Canadian foursomes. I mean, there's so, the, you know, the Pinehurst, the, you know, you just, I just can't quite, everything sort of has a, a couple of names. But the green sim that she's referring to is where you both tee off, uh, you pick the best ball, and whoever doesn't own that ball or didn't hit that ball hits the next shot. Okay, so you and me both tee off on the first. You like uh, my position, uh, my ball's position is better than yours. So you go, sweet, we'll take that one. And now you're hitting the second shot. Yep. So what would actually happen if you needed to hit a provisional? And so that you could hit a provisional. It would just mean that the provisional would have to be hit from uh, in respect to the ball that you think might be lost outside of penalty area or out of bounds. So in the case of Mary and Steve, if we keep running with that question, Mary's playing from the white, Steve's playing from the reds. They both hit off in this green sim. And Mary thinks, or Steve goes, oh, mine could be out of bounds. Then, yeah, Mary would play from the red tees as a provisional ball. They get up there and... Mary's ball off the tee is actually in a bit of uh, is actually in a worse position, and they think, oh, we might have to take an unplayable or go back to the tee. Uh, Mary's provisional was actually in a better spot. Steve would be hitting four, or Steve would have to go back to the tee hitting three. So uh, it could happen. It's very unlikely, uh, but if that was the case, um, yeah, the provisional ball could be played for the the ball, the specific ball that they believe to be maybe out of bounds or lost outside a penalty area. Paste to know the rules of golf when you're getting into these uh, fun competitions. They're very fun to play this type of competition, Um, but there can be some little rule scenarios that may not be in your regular weekly frame of reference. So it always does pay to, uh, if you're a club officiating this, you know, maybe hand out some some little rule guidelines that you can uh, help the players with that play in these fun competitions that uh, tend to pop up in the syllabuses from uh, time to time. I just want to say uh, also congratulations to Lena over there in Sweden. Uh, great golfing nation, uh, great golfing people, the Swedes, in a, in a place that's probably, you wouldn't think, 
suits suits a lot of golf. You know, like not like us down here in Australia where we get it all year round. I'm, I'm sure up there it's uh, very much a seasonal sport. But some great golfers come out of Sweden, and uh, just to say good day to Lena, but also to say good day to my personal friend who I've known for many many years, who was Sweden's first ever winner on the PGA Tour, Gabriel Hertzstedt, and hopefully Lena is aware of who Gabriel is and what he means in Swedish golf, but a uh, friend of mine, and so shout out to Lena and shout out to Gabriel. Also, you can find the interview with Gabriel on the My Love of Golf podcast. It's a beautiful segue into uh, the other podcast that I'm part of, part of the, the trio of podcasts that we do here at uh, the podcast uh, family, Golf Rules Questions, My Love of Golf, and also the Mental Mastery Golf podcast. If you want to tune up on your mind game, jump over to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast with Jamie Glazier. You have to listen to myself again, but um, but that's okay because he's the one that delivers everything. I just push the buttons. Now, let's keep moving on. So, Charlie Tebbs. Charlie sent, Tebbs. Sent four, me an email. Sent you an email, Blakey, and we've got four questions from Charlie. Can I, can I, can I read the, uh, as I say, push the buttons and read the questions? How about I stick with that format for me? Yes, but uh, blame me if... The questions don't make sense. So you read the question and I'll fire out the answer, but um, hopefully I haven't uh, stuffed you around if the questions don't make sense. Okay. I'll just roll with that. So the player accidentally causes their ball, that is at rest, in the general area, e.g. by accidentally knocking it with their club. So it causes their ball to move, I would, I would assume, um, but not while taking practice strokes. Yeah, so the, if the player's ball is in the general area, a uh, penalty area or a bunker, then accidentally causing the ball to move is a penalty of one and the ball must be replaced. Uh, however, there are some exceptions with that when the player is allowed to move or lift the ball um, during a search and when applying a rule. So... Um, in the teeing area, there would be no penalty for moving your ball. In the green or on the green, if it's accidental, there's no penalty. If it's deliberate, uh, there could be a penalty as, yeah, as we've talked about previously. So that's number one. Episode reference there. Do, do we know what episode we would have talked about that? There, there was not too many ago. It was like it's within the last 10 or so. I mean, this is crazy. We're getting up to this is episode 36. And I, you know, the, the, uh, the main ones that I remember are, um, uh, uh, the rule thirteen, which which was match play, and I think, and the launch, which was one. Uh, no, can you remember when John Rahm picked his ball up on the green without first marking it? No, um, I, I reckon. I, I reckon that would have been about nine or something like that. That that would have been, uh, yeah. Well, Charlie, that's your cue. Hopefully you have listened to all of the podcasts, but if you haven't, you know some of these answers for the questions, I'm sure, are in the podcast if you go back through and uh, help us um, you know, get some more downloads and uh, bump up the listings uh, in Australia. So we'll, we'll only be maintaining our number one position as the golf, only Golf Rules Questions podcast in Australia, but uh, the more downloads, the better, mate, let me tell you that. Uh, okay, the second question. If the player's ball in the general area a penalty area or a bunker, then accidentally causing their ball to move. No, no, no. That's oh, the, uh, that's, that's oh, the answer. Oh, that's one. the answer. Sorry. Sorry. Two? two? Yeah. Okay. Two. Sorry. I two. Got, sorry. Admin error here. Sorry. My, my mistake. Um, the player accidentally moves their ball by hitting it during their practice swing when in the general area. Yeah. So same answer as one. A practice swing doesn't count as a, a stroke. Mm. 
and the players accidentally caused the move, so they need to replace it. Uh, again, in the teeing area, no issue. Um, just re uh, tee, move your ball around. Uh, in the putting green, and we actually saw Matt Wolf. This was a, that one must have been about three episodes ago, thirty-three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually did this on the putting green. No penalty. Just needs to replace his ball. So practice swings. And we, you know, we've talked about the Hudson Swarford and the Justin Rose hitting their hitting divots into their balls and causing them to move. Um, I reckon that must have been it was when Hudson Swarford won last year and we talked about uh, how he hit a, hit a divot. So that must have been about twenty three or something like this. Oh, the great uh, hit a divot in the practice uh, swing yeah. and then the ball hits the divot. That classic, uh, yeah, classic that was about action. ten years ago. Classic action. Okay, let's uh, keep going. So this is a this is actually a good one. Um, this probably is one of those scenarios that I reckon happens more often than not on a golf course, which uh, which um, people come up with on a weekly basis. Player the player accidentally causes their ball to move as they start their backswing, but continues the stroke and hits the moving ball. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. As you said, it probably happens more than we know. Uh, it depends where the ball was at rest to what the answer is. So if it was at rest in the teeing area, it was at rest in the teeing area, um, and you cause it to move, remember there's no penalty. If you hit the moving ball, there's no penalty, provided it's a continuance of the backswing and the stroke. So... Uh, if you uh, make the backswing and then continue and hit the moving ball in your stroke, uh, there's not going to be a penalty. If it was in the general area, putting green bunker, uh, the penalty for hitting a moving ball after you've started your backswing is zero, but there could be a penalty if you caused your ball to move. Now, if it was wind or water that caused it to move, uh, there's not going to be a penalty uh, in that case either. Uh, but if you caused it to move, uh, there's going to be a penalty under a different under 9.4. Now, if it's on the green uh, and you accidentally cause it to move but continue your shot and hit the ball, you're not going to get a penalty for accidentally causing it to move on the green, uh, and then there's no penalty if you hit that moving ball. So that is the answer to number three, Roscoe. Blakey, well answered. And can I just say, for those of you that choose to watch uh, the YouTube video, if you see me leave the set, and uh, you know you can see what we're what we're dealing with here. It is a set. It's a wonderful setup that we've got the beautiful pictures in the background. Uh, that's because I had to go and answer the door to the postman because I am here working at home and the dogs might have barked there, which I try to silence it. But I had to go and um, answer the door to uh, get the weekly delivery for Miss. Oh, the not sorry, I take that back. The daily delivery, um, which is usually not for me. It's usually for Mrs. My Love of Golf. So I had to uh, go and sign for that. Otherwise, it gets shipped back off to the post office. So I had to go and intercept that. However, you'll only see that if it. Uh, you'll hear about it now because we're t- talking about it on the podcast. But you'll see it on the YouTube video and. It is an appropriate time to uh, give congratulations where congratulations are due to you, Blakey, for achieving what I think is a milestone. Well, it's not, I think, I know, 5,000 YouTube followers, 
which is a, a significant feat. It's not something that we thought we'd get to this quickly in the piece, you know, after maybe starting with sub-1,000 before we started the podcast, and now over 5,000, which means that we have to go to um, Tassie again. Well, I have to go again. You didn't come the first time. Sorry, I went without you. That's right. Ouch, Roscoe, ouch. Mm. But uh, thank you very much for the uh, congratulations. You yeah, know, it's uh, it's a great – it's a growing family. You know, we've got uh, 80 so thousand on Instagram and, and 5,000 on Facebook, but uh, it was a real goal of mine to try and grow the YouTube as I really like that, uh, that platform uh, a lot more. So it's going well. And uh, just a, also a quick shout out to Stuart who sits at home um, quietly beavering away and making some of Blakey's uh, YouTube content look as good as it does and you've been a, a very integral part in achieving this milestone of getting to Golf Rules Questions YouTube site to 5,000 from under under 1,000 in a very short space of time. So well done to both of you. Okay, now we've still got a uh, – so that's why, that's why I left the set, uh, Blakey. I had to go to the thing but you only see that if you watch the YouTube video. Um, what else we got? We got Mr. Um, number four. Charlie's got another question. Yes, number yeah, four. Yeah, he does. Okay. If a ball at rest in the general area, but part of the ball is above the line defining the edge of the pen, penalty area. Yeah, so he's just uh, asking a question there um, about a ball is in the general area, but um, actually crosses the line above above the general area, uh, a penalty area. So let's say it's in a tree and it's sort of overhanging the penalty area. Uh, where is the ball actually touching? So the ball is actually in the penalty area. Any time a part of the ball is at rest, um, crossing that invisible line, uh, which goes straight up and down the boundary of a penalty area, then the ball is in the penalty area. Area. It's not about where, in the case of a ball being in a tree, it's not about where the tree is rooted. Uh, it's about where the ball actually sits. Okay. And does the whole ball have to be across the line, or if it's partly touching the line, it's in the penalty area? Or if it's. Yeah, so, so it only has to have a part of the ball touching the outside of the line. Yeah. So as soon as it's touching the outside of the line, I like to think of a penalty area as sort of like a mini course within a course. So if you're touching the penalty area, you're in the penalty area. If you're touching the course, you're in the course, if, if that makes sense. So the red line is the penalty area, not the inside of the red line, but the red line is the penalty area. Yeah, the red line is the penalty area. The If you don't have lines and you've just got uh, two stakes, uh, it's the outside, the course side of the stake at ground level from stake to stake, that is the the effectively the invisible line. So if a quarter of the sphere of your golf ball crosses over the invisible line that you see when you plumb bob, plumb bob that and you get down and draw your imaginary line, you're in the penalty area. Yeah, correct. So think about it this way. It's more like tennis. It's more like um, you know court cam or ace cam on tennis. If the ball touches the line, it's not like soccer. It's not like VAR in soccer where the, where the ball has to be entirely across the goal line for it to be a goal. There you go. Nice, nice. Good work. Well, just for the tennis players and the footballers up there in the UK and Scotland. And oh, Don't talk to me about Scottish football, Blakey. And, you know, Frey's, uh, Frey's up there listening. He's in England, but he's a Scotsman. I wonder what football team he supports. He might let us know. But um, I'll let him know right now that I'm a Heart of Midlothian fan and Jeepers Weepers has been a tough time as a Heart of Midlothian fan in League One. Let me tell you that, Frey's. So, 
let's keep going on. Okay, what's next, Blakey? Yeah, so I just wanted to – I was just thinking um, about relief areas because I did have a slight question in an email, and so I've sort of put it into an expansion of, uh, you know, what is a relief area when taking a drop? So a relief area is basically this area in which you're going to drop. If it's a free relief, it's one club length. Um, if it's penalty relief, it's, well, it could be many options. It could be a two club length or many options, two options. Uh, it could be one club length or two club lengths, uh, depending where you're uh, taking the penalty drop. Um, obviously, if it's lateral relief, it's two club links. If it's back to your last or your previous place played, it's one. And if it's back on the line, it's one club length from that reference point. Now, you don't need to stand in or outside the relief area to um, when, when you make your drop. So you don't have to stand in it. You don't have to stand out of it. Uh, you're dropping from knee height. That's knee height. You don't have to be standing when you drop it from knee height. It just has to be the height of your knee if you were in a standing position. Now, if you do mark the relief area with tees or a club or whatever, uh, they are considered equipment. Now, if you deliberately left your um, equipment in a certain spot to affect the ball, uh, there'd be a penalty if the ball hit it. Uh, if it's accidentally left there, there's no penalty if hit by the dropped ball. Now, what happens if it does hit the equipment? So if it hits the equipment before it hits the ground, uh, it doesn't count as a drop and you need to, uh, need to try it again. If it hits the equipment after you dropped it, uh, after it hits the ground, if it hits the equipment after it hits the ground, uh, then if it has come to rest within the relief area, you... It, Balls back in play, you play it as it lies. Uh, if it's bounced away, bounced outside the relief area, then that counts as your first drop, but you need to re-drop it. So just a real quick, uh, you know, uh, sort of quick uh, uh, throw to relief areas and, and dropping in a relief area. And the other thing is before you drop, you can move loose impediments out of the relief area, but loose impediments don't include sand or loose soil or embedded stones embedded stones wow that is an interesting one uh, if it's a if it's an embedded stone that you pick out quite easily yeah. then it's a loose imp- impediment when do you, when does it become not picking out quite easily when it's an unreasonable effort right Okay. Which is which is a hard thing because you're like, well, I tried and I got it there eventually and I didn't think it was unreasonable. But how, like, how do you know it's going to be unreasonable or, or reasonable? Um, if you if it looks if you look at it and you think it's going to be unreasonable, I just leave it alone. It's an interesting one because once again, it's another topic that I think that's been debated on the golf course amongst playing partners on a regular basis, whether you can or can't move uh, those loose impediments taking a drop. And I think it's, you know, knowing that you can, obviously I know you can, um, but I've come up with some, against some people that uh, don't think you can, but um, the stones one and, and the, the sand is obviously a no brainer. I mean, you can see people shooing the sand away with, uh, with their, as they scrub the leaves away, you've, You've got to pick up the loose impediments and treat it with the same 
caution as almost you do when you're moving if your ball was there. You, know, you can't just rake it away with your, your foot because, you know, you, you can effectively be called, you know, you, you, you should be called for moving your conditions. your conditions. But you can pick the sticks up and pick the leaves and move that. But the stone one is always a, uh, you know, what is what is reasonable or not, you know, like where I grew up, you know, there stones everywhere and you know, we all had big chunks in our clubs. Um, which I used to buff out in the golf club uh, and get you know a couple of bucks a, a turn, but um, there are there are some clubs out there that have embedded stones as GUR yeah. uh, under a local rule. You know, m- if that's in the fairway, I could understand it. If it's in the rough, you know, you've you've hit a shot there. It's you shouldn't really be getting free relief from such a de- uh, mm. uh, a bad lie. Now, uh, what part of the rules um, book that uh, we all carry, which uh, is here somewhere of mine, but uh, what part is, would someone want to uh, look at if they want to get a quick bit of refresher reference based on you know, that uh, outtake there, Blakey? Where would they go to? Uh, relief area is in the definition section, mm-hmm. relief area, and also dropping is under rule 14.2. So I always get that wrong. It's always it's 14.3 and 14.2 get me, but it's uh, it's 14.3. Dropping is under 14.3. Replacing and placing is under 14.2. Uh, yeah, that's right. I just confirmed that. So 14.3, you'd find a lot about relief area. Okay, so there'll be a little bit of follow-up information in the notes from the podcast if you are enjoying the notes that go out as an email. If you aren't on the email list, you need to subscribe and jump over to the um, golfersandattitude.com website and sign up for Blakey's newsletter because then you get the email uh, which has a lot of the notes that we send out with the podcast, supplementary notes to the podcast, so you'll get that. So you should jump over to the the website and just sign up for that. Um, but it is in the podcast notes if you just get this through your podcast um, player. Now, let's keep moving on. Last week, a uh, bit of housekeeping. So background bingo. Yeah, mine was Parapara Umu Beach Golf Club, mm-hmm. uh, which Andrew Miller got. And uh, Andrew Miller, and I also had someone else get that one. Uh Donaka Lions. Oh, uh, so Donaka well, and Andrew Miller, thank you very much. Andrew, uh, no need to welcome you back, but thank you as always for participating. Uh, and Donaka, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the contribution. Thank you very much. Andrew Miller, and uh, I just uh, thank you for joining joining us at Insight Golf Academy too as well. So you'll hear that and you'll know what I'm talking about. So thank you, Andrew. Uh, and they both got your course. Yes, which was Roscoe? The wonderful, wonderful golf course of Le Hench in County Clare. That's a very bad Irish impersonation, but I love the Irish accent and uh, my mother and father-in-law Irish, good Irish people. Um, but County Clare is down there in uh, the 
west coast of Ireland and it's a wonderful, wonderful part of the world. And if you go down there, you'll be treated to the finest hospita- Irish hospitality that you can get and you can sit there at the Hinch Golf Club and uh, have a pint of Guinness if that's your tipple. You can have a, um, a beef pie with a bit of gravy, look out over the first, look down over the fifth and look out to the ocean and you'll never want to leave. That is my warning to you. You won't want to leave La Hinch when you go there if you haven't already been. But that was La Hinch and it was the, I think it's the fifth hole, the Dell. The Dell, yes, that's the, which is the blind par three, right? That is the blind par three. So you shoot from the road back over to uh, a sunken, well, it's not sunken, but it's hidden behind a, a big dune. And there's a dune at the rear, dune at the front, and a stone on the front dune uh, alerts you to where the pin is located. The pin, uh, the green is shaped like a peanut, so it runs side on. And it is one of the quirkiest golf holes that you will ever see or play. Uh, the it's one of the two holes, the fourth and the fifth, uh, pretty much as original from old Tom Morris when he went across there when the Scottish Army was down there and they built golf courses and so on and so forth. He sort of did the original layout, uh, and then but the connection. What was the connection, Blakey? Uh, yeah, so we had Danacha picked Lahinch, Andrew Miller picked Lahinch, and Peter Abraham uh, finally got Lahinch on his third go. Uh, Andrew Miller uh, said that he struggled for a connection, maybe blind par threes, but I think Danacha might be a little bit closer with Alistair McKenzie. Correct. Correct. Yes. Well done, Danacha Lines. So Alistair McKenzie uh, had some influence over Paraparumu and also very much so over La Hinch, uh, very much so when he went there and, you know, reassessed some of the work of, you know, let's not go into the history, you can look at the history of Dr Alistair McKenzie and La Hinch, but it's one of his uh, great bot pieces of work over there. Right, so this week, what do you got for us, Ross Gann? Okay, so this week's Golf Rules question of the week. No Ivers? No, 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 no. I mean, what, what is your background bingo? Oh, oh sorry, it's still on background 36. Good question. It's a wonderful picture from my friend uh, Nick Wall at Airswing Media. I've been using a few of Nick's and credit where credit's due. This is one of his images, not one of mine. The Dell image from the Hinch was my image. I took that when I was there. Um, but uh, this this is uh, a beautiful course. Could be anywhere. Could be and, anywhere. And a, southern, and a hem- the, the southern Hemisphere. <laughs> in a fantastic part of the world, I must say. Um, so, yeah, so have a go and uh, let us know what hole that is if you think you know um i know which one it is now i don't know what the hole number for this one is behind me but it's actually yeah southern hemisphere in a a fantastic part of the world as well and the let's just say the rocks you can see some rocks there i'm not giving anything away there uh has a big part of uh this golf course plays a big part of this golf course uh, there's rocks everywhere. This this one's actually not too far. My big hint is this one's not too far away from your one. Oh, okay. Choice. Now, is that it? No Ivers? Yeah, that's it. Let's get no Ivers okay. uh, until this episode. Let's uh, get back to the golf rules question of the week. 36. Okay, well, as I like to do, as I've said before in this episode, I like to read these and I'll take uh, control of this. It's uh, And it's... Referencing two of our favourite listeners, Fraz. I'm going to call him Fraz. Uh, Fraz and Webbo. Actually, actually, Steve's in there as well. So, uh, <laughs> gee, it's got the trif- trif- trifecta of uh, favourite listeners. I got to get, I got to get more, uh, more ladies into my questions. I think. Hmm. Now, 
Fraze has Webbo caddying for him during the first round of the club championships. On the ninth tee, after Fraze has teed off, Webbo runs off to talk to a man about a dog. Fraze doesn't want to carry his heavy bag because it's burdened down with golf balls weighing it down, so he gets Steve to carry his bag to where his ball is at rest. Steve tells Fraze the distance that he should hit a 7-iron with a wee bit of a draw. After Fraze hits his second shot, Webbo reappears and takes over caddying duties. Steve walks beside Fraze and Webbo and holds Fraze's jacket and umbrella for the rest of the round. Does Fraze incur any penalties? Well, well spoken. That is excellent. Now, uh, for those of you that might not uh, understand, it runs off to talk to a man about a dog. What does that mean, Roscoe? The dogs are barking, the postman's at the front door and you've got to leave the set and go and talk to the man. Cause the, no, I, I think it's um, sort of Aussie colloquial slang for having to go to the toilet. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Nate, relieve yourself, um, uh, nature calls. Which is fair enough. At the ninth hole, that would be the seem to be an appropriate break for, a, for an out-and-back uh, nine holes to go and take a break at the ninth hole. But uh, in this scenario, Steve re- um, took over the caddying duties for a, a short stint and, uh, and then they all had a lovely little little rest of uh, stroll together, it would appear, with uh, Steve holding Fraser's jacket for the duration of the round. Nice. Excellent. I thought that was very well spoken. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Blakey, does that wrap us up for this week? Masters Week podcast of 2021. It's great to have the Masters back. It was only yesterday, but uh, looking forward to that very much. So is that us? That is us. Thank you very much, Roscoe, and thank you very much, listeners. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Subscribe, like, share. Tell everyone about this great uh, Golf Rules podcast. I had bumped into someone else last night at uh, work that had told me that they listened, and I wouldn't have thought that they would be listeners. So it just continues to amaze us that uh, everyone out there is listening to, uh, to us. Go on about the, the rules, and we do hope that you are learning something. So please keep sharing, liking, subscribing. And until next time, we'll see you on – oh, hold on. Blakey's got his T-shirt on. Look and you've got and you've got yours on as well, Roscoe. Mine, mine's, hit, mine's hidden behind the world's biggest microphone hey. on the world's flabbiest chest. Uh, there you go. So you can see mine here, and uh, it's the golf rules, uh, golf rules roo, coup. Roo, coup and roo, and the coup phrase. Uh, you'll like you'll like that phrase. It's a little Highland cow. So that represents me, and the roo represents Blakey. And then Blakey's got the t-shirt with the uh, podcast artwork, so you'll see that popping up. I think this has been the longest tease of um, pre-orders ever, and, and I really apologise. Uh, merchandise has never been my uh, – I've never done it before. So, uh, yeah, well, I just, we just want to get it right, and uh, we'll get these out there very soon because I know a lot of our listeners – I really can't. Just, just hype creates demand, Blakey. It's just marketing. <laughs> it's just marketing, yeah. The hype. Yeah, it's just market it's, testing, you know. We're not in Adelaide not, or Newcastle. It's just me being slow. We're not walking around the streets of the Adelaide we are asking people would they like this T-shirt or that T-shirt where every market's been tested in Australia. No, we're just just getting some T-shirts printed and giving ourselves some something to wear, mate, you know, other than the, the normal kit. Very good. If you like the T-shirts, let us know. We'll see you next Very week on, on the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Thanks for listening. 